Welcome to the Liberty Podcast. We're so excited that you're interested in the teaching ministry of Liberty Bible Church. We're a multi-site church that exists to share the love of Christ across Northwest Indiana. If you're looking for a church home, please check us out at our website, findliberty.net. Thanks again for joining us as together we're transformed by the teaching from the Word of God. Okay, if you have a Bible, you can turn to Deuteronomy 6. I'm going to read verses 4 through 9 for us. Uh, So hear now the word of the Lord. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your hearts and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. And this is God's word. Uh, let me pray for us uh, before we jump into that. Father, we give you thanks that you have, you have spoken uh, through your word, uh, through the scriptures, but also through your son Jesus, who lived uh, what a compelling, beautiful human life. And so we want to live like him. And so I pray now you would bless my words, that they might help us to follow Jesus better. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in high school, I went to a church that I loved. That church kindled my faith in Jesus, and the youth group was a dynamic place led by some of the best people that I've ever been around. But our church did something that I look back on now uh, with questions. Because when you rolled into our church, if you were a middle or high school student, you made an immediate left and went up the stairs into the worship service for high school and middle school students only on the second floor. Our own room away from the church. Now in the moment, I loved it. And we packed that room out. We had so many kids coming, we needed two services for that room. But if you were my parents' age, when you walked into church, you uh, walked to the right, the opposite direction of us, into the worship center. Sanctuaries were no longer, uh, they're old. So we had a worship center. And the center of worship is where the adults went. And then a couple years later when we did a building expansion, we built a chapel. And that's where the grandparents went to worship. And so depending on your age, when you walked into church, you went to a different part of the building. Our church intentionally divided itself by generation. Now this was the trend of the late 80s and 90s, and I recognize continues to be the trend and assumption of most churches today. And the, the idea behind that is if you want to grow your church, ask people what they want and then give it to them. And let's be honest, depending on your age, you want very different things. right? So I'm, I'm a millennial, which means I love avocado toast and I am a coffee snob. So we cannot serve Folgers here. We will not serve Folgers 
here, and my preference is in a worship environment with dim lighting and loud music. If you are a boomer in here, well, that means you, you probably like contemporary Christian music, but you would prefer the lights to be up and the music to be not quite as loud. Some of you in here, you're Zoomers, uh, teenage years, and you wonder why millennials love Taylor Swift so much and why I keep referencing her in my sermons. And here I did, I just did it again. Some of you are a silent generation or Generation X, and no one really ever asked you what you want, so you know, you're irrelevant to the conversation. But what we've witnessed, I see you, Micah, up there. I see you. Uh, we've witnessed over the last 40 years the church in the United States divide itself by generational lines. So some churches have taken the approach like I grew up in. Different services for different generations. There's a chapel for the grandparents, a worship center for the adults, and the student room for the students. And so they have multiple generations in church, but the generations don't interact with one another. Everyone goes to their own part of the building. Or, a lot of churches, rather than pursuing that model, they just lean into one generation with their ministry. So the music in worship is so loud, the room's so dark, no one who is older would ever feel comfortable there. Or, other churches take a more traditional approach, so it's filled primarily with people north of 50 or 60, with very few kids or young families in the church. So it's a church, but it's primarily one generation. And this has been, here at Liberty, one of the biggest questions facing our church. It's been a major point of prayer among the elders and the pastoral team. How do we think about these questions? How are we going to think about it? How are we going to think about how to be a church given? How hard it is to have people from different generations worship together. Especially in an environment where if you want that, there are 20 churches you could drive to today and have it. So this morning I want to lay out our vision of liberty. How we want to respond to the question. And our desire ultimately is to be a house of prayer for all people which means all generations, together. So I began this series with some alarming statistics I hope would get your attention. One being that 40 million Americans have left the church in the last 25 years. It's 15% of the total adult population, adult population in the United States. That's an that's insane movement. It's crazy. The second uh, statistic I've shared used, most of those people are, are people my age and younger that one million millennials leave the church every year. And so, given those two statistics, I want to show you a chart. Next slide. This chart depicts people who have left the church in the last, uh, well, actually going back to 1972. The dotted line is people under 30, the rest is all adults. So you, you can notice, starting early 1990s, there's a big jump towards people beginning to leave the church. And I want to submit to you, that jump happens right after we decided we'd divide the church along generations. And it's only gotten worse since. And so my belief, and my belief's not just based on my own opinion, it's, it's the data has shown this, 
is that dividing the church by generations, while it has helped some churches grow very large, ultimately has mean fewer people by a significant margin are following Jesus today than they were 50 years ago. Significant number of people have left the church in the last 50 years. And I'm submitting to you, it's because, one of the reasons is because we've divided the church by generation. And so this morning, I, I want to talk about why it didn't work. Why trying to be a, either a multi-generational church with, hey, a bunch of different generations, different parts of the building, or like, let's just grow a really large church of only primarily one generation, why it didn't work. And why we seek to be something very different. And why it will be crucial for us as, as Liberty to think this out together. And so I want, I want to say all of that with knowing two things are true. First, I know I'm pushing against what most people in this room carry is just assumptions about how church works, which is the best way to, to do church is to try to reach specific generations because you'll grow faster. And I want to tell you, in the short run, that typically is what happens. And I recognize what I'm putting before us is, but you got to think 30 years from now. And as a guy coming out of my youth group from 30 years ago, I'm, I'm trying to submit to the church. It didn't work. Most of my friends from that youth group don't follow Jesus anymore. And so we have to think differently. And the data's been really helpful on this. That, that in my mind, the good news is the data's really clear on what didn't work and what does work. The bad news is very few, very few of us want to do what the data actually shows. And so I want to talk about that. But second, I want to say this is the beginning of the conversation. There's got to be back and forth. And so my encouragement to you is knowing you're going to disagree with a lot of what I say, don't disagree yet. Take it in and, and understand you're hearing from someone with very good faith who has my own kids and who saw the church not work this way over the last 25 years saying, if we do the same things we've been doing, we're going to get the same results. And we must change. So, question one. Well, what then is an intergenerational church? What is an intergenerational church? And the best way to answer that question is just to have you take a look at a video for uh, a couple minutes. So, um, take a look. Family gatherings often lead to wonderful times around the table. Memories are shared and formed over sparkling conversation and great food, but only among adults. Unfortunately, when there are too many of us to fit around one table, our tendency is to separate out the kids. We tell ourselves that after all, they usually want to be on their own. This inevitably leads to two separate tables with two very different experiences. Sadly, that's a lot like the church. We tend to have adult classes and kid classes, adult worship and kids worship. Over time, many churches separate kids and adults entirely. This starts when they are young and results in kids who graduate from youth group and don't know the church. At the Fuller Youth Institute, we've learned through our Sticky Faith research that while sometimes the kids' table is appropriate, the most effective ministries find ways to integrate children and teenagers into the whole life of the church, like sitting at one big shared table. 
so this, this video is based on years of data and research. These aren't people who just fired up a video on a Thursday afternoon. Um, and they, they care deeply about what I care deeply about, which is wondering and figuring out why so many kids who grew up in church no longer are a part of the church. And so there's two things named in that video that are really important. The first being that, that a church that separates by generation results in kids who graduate from youth group and don't know the church. Back in my church experience growing up, our student ministry grew rapidly. By the time I was a senior in high school, in just a couple of years, we'd gone from 50, 60 kids on a Sunday to 250 kids on a Sunday, middle school and high school. And we had our own table to worship at. Some of us went into to big church, uh, as I called it. Interestingly, most of us who went into big church were all Christians today, but most of those kids didn't. And so they, we had our own service, our own table, and tons of kids attending. And anyone in our area would have said, this is like, this is how you do student ministry. It's killing it. It's working. Um, and I even led, I led a small group of 15, 15 or so high school students from that youth group. And I can tell you through Facebook today of those 15 kids, today I'm confident three of us are still following Jesus as we move into our early 40s. Three out of 15. And the reason is most of the kids in our student ministry never got to know the church. So when our, our youth group was over for them, church was over for them. And what everyone would have said, again, is this is how you do, we were killing it. But if the success mark is attracting a crowd, then we won. But that's not, I don't want to define success by attracting a crowd. I want to define success by discipleship to Jesus and people following him into their adult years. So that's one line is, if we separate by generations, kids will never get to know the whole church. But secondly, um, the other line that's important is, is while sometimes the kids' table is appropriate, the most effective ministries find ways to integrate children and teenagers into the whole life of the church. And so to be clear, we still value good and intentional children's and student ministry programming where we both teach the Bible at an age-appropriate level and we're also where we create community among kids within their own age group. That's both appropriate and important. But it's not the most important goal. The most important goal is for our kids and students to be integrated into the life of the whole church. So to be an inter intergenerational church, it's, it's been happening here over the last uh, year or so. Where we've, we've made a couple of different decisions. The first is we no longer provide different worship services for different generations. So when I, when I came here, there were two types of worship service. There were sacred grounds in the gym and worship center here in the worship center. And largely our Sunday morning experiences were divided along generational lines. And I actually remember being a new person coming into that and just naming that. And how people would say, oh, that's not, that's not true. It's like... Yeah, uh, yes, it is. <laughs> As the new guy, it is. And how even hard it was for some people to acknowledge that. And so we began an experiment about a year ago. We moved everyone into this room with actually the original intention of doing two different type of services. A first service geared more towards people over 50 and 60. And a second service geared towards more like young families, young adults, like Sacred Ground was. But what we quickly found was it it just didn't work. 
because it required all kinds of extra work to make it happen. And while many people have told us we would prefer different types of services, we could not find the volunteers or the people to serve to make two different types of services happen. So actually, like, just by, like, pure survival, we ended up with one type of service. Because <laughs> we couldn't even do two types of services. And we knew when we began that, as staff and elders, what would happen if we stopped tailoring services toward a particular generation? We knew there'd be younger people in our church who would leave because worship was no longer in as dark a room or with music as loud in their preferences. And some older people left because they wanted a brighter room with a more traditional style of music. And while we'll always honor Whatever your preferences are, because they matter to you, they'll always matter to us. I ultimately grieve that vision of church. Because that puts something at the center of church that's not Jesus. And if the the center of church is our experience and preferences, I believe that will continue to lead to more decline in the church. Because non-Christians are not interested in our preferences. You talk about it to a non-Christian, like, hey, listen, like the room is really dark and the music's really loud. They're, they don't care. <laughs> or when I came to, when I, they would come visit us in my church in Kansas City, they expected them, their kids to stay with them. They're like, we're not giving you our kids. We don't know you. <laughs> They're staying with us, right? But for us, in, as Christians, we often come with very high expectations of what's provided for us. And what I'm throwing out to you is, is actually that, that's That's fed the church decline. Because a church experience with our preferences in the center means Christ is not in the center. And we need to move our preferences out of the center of the church and move Christ and his cross into the center of our experience as church. So we've we've been trying uh, to, to work at that over the last year. And for me, the encouraging part of the last year is is I look out at our both worship services now, and they are much more intergenerational than they were three to four years ago. And beyond that, while we honor people who have left over preferences, we have more people attending our church than we had attending our church two years ago. Because ultimately, I think this vision is more compelling. But I also know, and I want to name, that many of you right now would prefer to worship in a room that primarily lives into the preferences of your generation. You'd prefer a much brighter room with different style music every week. And I just want to say, if if you're still here, which if you're in today, you're still here. I mean, why are you here? It's minus five or whatever it is. Uh, I want to say to you, thank you. You are the kinds of Christians that I want to worship with. And you're the kinds of Christians who I believe will reverse the trend of so many of our kids brought up in in the church leaving. You've also allowed us to take steps so that a 14-year-old could walk into this room and feel at home. Feel like it's their room. So thank you. But I also know some of you who are younger, this room doesn't yet feel like it's your room to worship in. Feels like you've stumbled into your adult's bed, your parents' bedroom, and it's a little weird. It's a little weird. And I just want to say thank you. 
Thank you for staying with us. You're the kinds of Christians I want to worship with. And our goal is to get to the place where this room you walk into and it's yours. And so we have more work to do, but that's, that's one step towards an intergenerational church where you walk in the front doors and it's not grandma goes downstairs, adult goes to the middle you know, room, and then young kids go upstairs and we all go our separate relays. It's not worked. Uh, but the second thing we, we've, we've been trying to do is uh, practicing intergenerational Sundays. And so there are Sundays when we intentionally don't provide children's ministry for ages uh, six and up so that the rest of the kids are in in worship with us here in the sanctuary. We want your kids in our services. And my belief is, starting at age five, kids are ready to attend worship services with their parents every week. And I know in our church culture, what I just said is what an insane person says. But it's only been insane for the last 40 years. And our kids leaving the church should suggest maybe it's insane to separate kids from their parents when they walk into church. And again, it might sound crazy to you, but I, I just want to name, like Misty and I, we've lived that with our family. Our kids, starting in age five, start attending worship. And they're all alive. They all made it. They're still with us. Um, and I want to say, some of your kids, it may be a little bit older, six or seven or eight. It depends on how God has wired each kid, depending on their needs. But I, I do want to say, if you have a five-year-old, try it. I mean, if you have a six-year-old, you don't have a choice next week. And my hope is that's not a week to stay home from church, but you come ready to embrace your kids in worship with you. And I want to be clear, we don't want them in worship because they're going to understand everything that I say from the pulpit. That's often what I hear. Well, they don't understand the sermon. I don't expect them to because I'm not bringing them into the room for them to hear me. <laughs> we want them in the room so they hear you. They hear you singing to Jesus. They see you opening your Bible to follow along with the sermon. They hear you go up and receive communion. They hear you pray if there's prayer in. We're not bringing them in to watch a show. We're bringing them in for for them to see you and your discipleship of Jesus. Because bringing them into this room, two things happen every week. First, they are integrated into the whole church. They see this is their church. This room is theirs. And we want them here. And hopefully the people who sit by you who are older, right? It's not like the plane where you have to apologize. Listen, my kids are going to be terrible to you for the next two hours. Here's some some you know treats to buy you off. It shouldn't be like that in church. It should be like, good, bring the chaos. We're in. Second thing that's happening is uh, they're watching you as parents. They watch you sing. They watch you take communion. They watch you open your Bible. And one Sunday, I, I acknowledge, that probably doesn't mean very much. But if they attend services with you from 5 to 18... When they leave home, that is 676 Sundays. 676 Sundays of you taking notes on the sermon, singing your heart out, gathered at the table of Jesus, gathered in church community. And over time, that shapes your kids in profound ways. And they will see that the most important thing to you is your discipleship to Jesus. 
I remember attending worship with my grandparents one uh, Sunday in Bloomington, Indiana. And I'll never forget hearing how loud my grandparents sang in church. I'll never forget it, one, because with apologies to my grandparents, they were terrible singers. It's like, can you hear yourself right now? This is bad. But they sang with all their hearts. And I took notice. It was important to them. Whatever we're doing right now as a five-year-old, it's like however young I was, this is, this is, I'm in an important place. And eventually that place became important to me as well, the church. And so an intergenerational church is a church of intergenerations. Inter meaning together, not just all generations in their different parts of the building, or even many generations, but together generations. We want to be a church of intergenerational ministry, together generational ministry. That's first. Second, why? Why, do we, why? why should we do that? And listen, i got a lot of reasons, but I'll only give you two for this morning. The first is that intergenerational church is more compelling. It's more compelling. I've been at Liberty now for two years, and it's very different from the church that I grew up or that, that I came from, that I helped plant in Kansas City. That church was primarily people my age, so younger families, and empty nesters. That was basically our whole church with some occasional uh, others in there. And so in seven years of pastoring there, we only had two funerals. When I started here at Liberty, we had two funerals in my first week. And it wasn't just that. One day when I walked in, it was before the funeral, they had left the body of one of our de- dearly beloved departed members just like in the narthex. And no one was around him. So there was just, I just walk into work and there's a dead body there. I'm like, this is very different. Like, I'm not in Kansas anymore. But thank you for indulging that terrible joke. I appreciate that. Uh, but here, like, going to funerals is a discipleship event. And hearing about Faye Louise Pop's faithful ministry in her preschool that she ran out of her basement for many years. Hearing about Gil Cook's brilliance, his great teaching, his work as a professor and his presence at Valpo University as well as an elder here in our church. Hearing Mike Kellogg's faithful years on radio for Moody and the kind of person he was to fellow members here in the church. We need those moments as a church. That we don't just need to see Christians live well to be disciples of Jesus. We need to see Christians die well. But also, I hope you were moved watching that video with a picture of little kids' cups intermixed with the adult plates. That's fun. That's fun and more compelling. But the second reason, and this is, this is most important, why intergenerational ministry is so important, is secondly, intergenerational churches are the best at helping kids retain faith into adulthood. And as I showed you earlier, that when we started dividing the church along generations, that began the decline. And I don't think that's the only cause, but I do think it's one of the primary causes because of what the data and study have shown us about why people leave the church and how they're leaving the church. And so, what does the data show? Well, first, the data shows parents are the most important part of a child's faith retention. And so, Christian Smith, a sociologist from Notre Dame, did a lengthy, multi-year study discovering why, why did some kids retain their faith from their parents and other kids left. And here's 
the, the summary conclusion of a very long and dense book. You don't need to read the book. This is, what, this is the point. This is what he says. Uh, some readers might be surprised to know that the single most powerful causal influence on the religious lives of American teenagers and young adults is the religious life of their parents. Not their peers, not the media, not their youth group leaders or clergy, not their religious school teachers. Myriad studies show that beyond a doubt, like we, this, the research is not inconclusive. We know, we know what the, the, it's clear. Beyond a doubt, the parents of American youth play the leading role in shaping the character of their religious and spiritual lives, even well after they leave home, and often for the rest of their lives. The most important spiritual voice in the life of a child is their parents. So that's why when as a church we said, well, let's, as families roll into the church, let's get the kids away from their parents, was not a good strategy. <laughs> Because I love my youth group leaders. I don't talk to them anymore. But I still talk to my parents. <laughs> We're still together. We live in the, almost in the, in the same town. So a church strategy, is, let's, get, let's get the kids away from the parents, is doomed from the start. But maybe you're a parent sitting out there thinking, oh man, so it's all on me. The pressure's all on me. Well, here's the beauty. The data doesn't say you have to be a brilliant teacher or have your kids memorize Leviticus to be a successful parent. Rather, what, what you need to pursue is, is, this is what he found. Parents who have warm, affirming relationships with their kids are invested and intentional, not critical or emotionally distant. Those parents are the kinds of parents who hand down the faith. Parents who let their kids lead the conversations, ask the questions, but create a safe environment for those honest conversations. And that, yes, it means parents, we have to know, know the gospel, know the story of Jesus really well, so when those questions come, we can gently point kids to the way of Jesus. But just being a, a presence of kindness in their life is actually more important than having really great nailed-down theology that you hand down perfectly. And so as a church, we're, we can't just think about Dynamic programming for students, but how we equip you as parents to be the kind of presence you need to be for your kids so that they grow up in the way of Jesus. And this is what Deuteronomy said, right? The passage I read for us. Remember Deuteronomy 6, 7. Impress these commands, the scriptures on your children. How? Well, talk about them when you sit at home. When you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. The normal goings of life. Just talk to them as they're ready. Tie them as symbols on your hands. Bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the doorframe of your houses and on your gates. And so that means, I, I believe, a church that practices a ministry where most of ministry means that kids are separated from their parents is making a huge mistake. It's why we want your kids worshiping with you in this room. Here, you are their primary spiritual leader. And we want to help you along that. Road. And, and again, to say that doesn't mean age-specific programming isn't important. It is. We want to work hard at creating good Bible teaching and community among our high school and middle school students while recognizing what's more important is their connection to their parents and seeking to cultivate and build 
that. So it's not an either or, it's a both and, but it's a both and with the primary focus being on the parents, being the spiritual leaders of their home. It's the first thing the data shows. The second thing the data shows is that fathers are particularly important for faith retention. It's not that moms aren't important. They're crucially important. But it is that the research shows fathers have an outside, outsized impact. So again, Christian Smith in Handing Down the Faith writes, Both parents matter a lot in faith transmission, but the role of fathers appears to be particularly crucial providing dads with extra influence and responsibility in the matter. In addition, a book called Families of Faith, based on a 50-year-plus study of families, wrote, wrote this in response to the study. The highest generational transmission of religion from generation to generation occurs in families with high degrees of warmth, particularly if the father is perceived as warm and close. So crucial to our strategy of, of teaching our kids about Jesus is how we connect fathers to their kids in faith retention. And so I've, I've quoted this line before, but I'm, I want to speak it again. There's a religious studies professor I really respect, Dr. Anthony Bradley, who's done a ton of research on faith retention. And one of the lines in one of his writings, which again, is not based on research, it's just sort of a, hey, here's how you think about this vision. But he said this, and this has always stuck with me. He said, a child who hears their father sing in church will be most likely to stay as a Christian into adulthood. And so men, you may not be able to teach your kids uh, to memorize the New Testament. But you can sing week after week to Jesus in front of them. And they will see what, what importance Jesus has or doesn't have to you. And then third and finally, kids need to be integrated into the life of the whole church. And so our primary goal, hear me, is not to attract a, kid, a crowd. It is to do the things that will lead our kids to follow Jesus when they're 50, 40, on into adulthood. Because our, ki- our goal is for kids to grow up to be faithful, fruitful, and a little wild disciples of Jesus. And to do that, we have to challenge the status quo of what is obviously not working. To challenge the ways we are doing church. And I know it's going to be an uphill battle. The truth is, the fastest growing churches all divide by generations. Think of my friend Seth, who once visited one of these fastest growing churches in the United States. He took his uh, little, and he had a two-year-old, tried to take him into service, and he got met by bouncers. No kids in service. Like, that's weird. <laughs> why are there bouncers for worship services, first of all? But like, why, why would, didn't Jesus speak to this? Okay, only a few of you know what he said. I'll tell you what he said. Let the little children come to me. And then we build churches where we say, no. Erasing and rejecting our own Savior's vision of what his ministry should look like. Kids need to be integrated into the life of the whole church. So that, okay, that's the why. This isn't, I'm saying this isn't working. So then, okay, how does that work? How do we become an intergenerational church? And so remember, we're in the middle of a vision series, our Gather Initiative, where our primary goal is that you engage with this in some way, 100% engagement for, for our whole church, which means we want you to think about even this question of how could you participate in us being a more intergenerational 
church, reaching the next generation. And so, uh, three ideas for you this morning. First, learn one child's name. It's not your own kids. Hopefully you know your kid's name. We're hoping for that. But I heard Kevin Earhart send an email out to seniors who said, no, five kids' names. So I'm not even as hard on you as Kevin is. Kevin's going for it. I'm just like, just one. Because next Sunday will be an intergenerational Sunday, which means our room will be full of kids from 6 to 18. Ask one of them what their name is while they're getting their donut, sitting in the pew next to you. Ask them their name. Ask them what their favorite food is. Ask them who their favorite YouTuber is. And even if you have no idea what I just said, they will. It's okay. (laughs) Learn their name. And then come to church the next week ready to say hi to them. Because studies show that a child needs five meaningful adult relationships with adults in the church in addition to their parents. And then they will retain faith into adulthood. Five. And so ask yourself, of all the students and children in our church, how many of them would name you? Or me? (laughs) Myself asking that question. As one of their five. How many kids are you one of the five adults that's going to shepherd them into the way of Jesus from 25, 30, 40, and beyond? So first, learn one child's name. Second, pray intergenerationally. All right, that's the title of this series, A House of Prayer for All People. And all people, to me, includes all generations. And praying intergenerationally uh, is, is, of all the people you pray for regularly in this church, how many are two generations away from you? 40, 50 years away from you. So in other words, if you're a teenager, do you pray for anyone in their 60s who are part of this church? Or if you're in your 60s, how many teenagers or kids in children's ministry do you pray for regularly? I think if we prayed for one another across generations, we might care less about our preferences and what we hope church to look like. But third and finally, it's a way to to engage, gather, and become uh, helping us become an intergenerational church. We want to invite you to consider uh, worship one, serve one. Come to church and worship one service with your whole family. And serve one service with your whole family. And that's our hope of every regular attender here at Liberty. You'll come on a Sunday for two services. To worship one and to serve in children's ministry, in hospitality, um, in all the places we have available to serve. Worship one, serve one. And so if you're a young family, what that means is you'll drop your kids off in age-specific programming for one service while you go serve somewhere else in the church. And then you pick them up and you all come in for the other service for uh, the morning. Worship one, serve one. And let me say, I'm okay with the noise. I live with four kids under the age of 12. I, I hear it. I'm okay. Bring them in. Bring the chaos. We're okay if they ask questions in the middle of the sermon. We're okay if they spill something because we want your kids here. We want one table in this church. And so we hope you'll consider coming every Sunday, worshiping one and serving one. And if you're an empty nester and you're without kids, we want that for you too. To come and worship uh, in one service and then go serve our kids in the second service. And, and maybe you're thinking, okay, 
I've got grandkids. I really care about them spiritually. I don't really know how to do that, what that looks like. Well, come and practice on our kids for free. And it's okay if you mess it up. We'll, we'll take care of it from there. And here's the great thing. You really can't mess it up. If you, care, if you love Jesus and you're just a nice person, that's really all the research says is don't yell at kids and point them to Jesus. It's not hard. Practice on our kids and then you'll be ready with your own. Your own grandkids that you know you want to have an impact on. But hear me say, if, if you embrace this path, I'm not, I'm not encouraging it because the kids really need us and we better do it. I'm also saying you need the kids. You need students in your life. I mean, what did Jesus say? Let the little children come to me. Not just because he liked kids, but because the, the kingdom belongs to such as these. They have something to teach us. They're not the future church. They are the church today. And Jesus expected them to be as part of a, a much ministry in his own day as the adults were. And so my favorite moment in the last year of, of our church family was during the Thanksgiving service. Where during that service, one of our students got up and told the story of how she started a Bible study at her school. And it was amazing to listen to her talk about her courage, her faith, the risks she took. How it almost didn't happen and she prayed and then somehow God provided miraculously everything she needed when the, it looked like it wasn't going to happen. I mean, what, you don't want people like that around you that are like a third your age that are following Jesus way better than you are? <laughs> I, mean, I want that. I need that. I mean, what could be better than that on a Sunday morning? Watching the Bears lose again? I mean, what if we had adults at this church saying, you know what, we have every breakfast for that Bible study covered. It's because we know kids, like, kids are just attracted to food. So what if some of you great cooks in here made some killer breakfast casserole or picked up donuts and everyone at Chesterton High School, Middle School knew, you go to that Bible study, you're getting the best breakfast you'll ever get. Because adults in here are practicing intergenerational Ministry, that's way more compelling and more fun and more beautiful beautiful than, hey, you're in uh, middle school or high school. Hey, we've got a room in the corner of the church. Why don't you go there? We'll see you when you're 19. So we adults can have our adult time. That, no. <laughs> and Jesus even spoke specifically to this. Let the little children come to me. Not, hey, there's a hill for children's ministry over there. Take the kids over there so they don't bother us anymore. And yet, how many churches? That's our ministry philosophy. We need our adult time. Keep the kids away so we can have what we want from church. We pursued that vision. We saw the chart. Kids have left. I think it's time to start, to start trying another vision of ministry, which is the vision of Jesus. Let the little children come. Do not take them away. When you think about what a line by Jesus, the Son of God, the riches of heaven all available to him, and he wants to hang out with kids as a part of his ministry life, as a part of his Messiahship. He welcomed them. Both saying to us, hey, they're actually a model of the kingdom. The kingdom belongs to such as these. And theologians have debated for centuries what Jesus meant by that. We still don't know. We have no idea what Jesus meant by that. 
I mean that. Like theologians have, no, it's majorly debated. So that's why we need to keep hanging around with kids until we finally figure out what Jesus said, what he meant. Let them come to me. What a model, what a model of welcome. Right? That you can't be in a relationship with a kid without radically rejecting your own preferences and expectations and entering fully into the wor- their world to serve them. Which is exactly what Jesus did for us, isn't it? Philippians 2, he though he was God, didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, becoming a servant, becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. This is Jesus did not come to live into his own preferences and experience of spirituality. He came to give himself away. And to be an intergenerational church requires adults who like Jesus and believe in his vision and ministry. And most importantly, have experienced his ministry to us. Because aren't all of us ultimately sinners just like children going to Jesus with all our needs and our messiness and our spills and our chaos? And when has Jesus ever said to you, you know what, go over there for a while? (laughs) Never. In fact, his invitation is to his table. So we're going to sing a couple songs and then we're going to come to his table and I hope you will receive and invite into your own heart Jesus' ministry in this moment. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you that the message of Jesus to children was was come as I dropped my iPad. Was come. And I grew up with that message from the faithful Sunday school teachers in the church who had me in worship and wanted me in that room. And so God, we want to be a church that... um, that embodies Jesus' message. And we want to be a church that hands off the gospel to the next generation. And so I pray, Father, uh, would you help us be that? But the only way we will be that is if now we receive your ministry and your welcome to us. And so as we sing, uh, Jesus, invite us into your presence uh, that we may be welcomed as you welcomed those kids on a hillside in Galilee many, many years ago. Welcome us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for being with us today. If you'd like more information on our church or a place to connect, you can check us out on the web at findliberty.net.